This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. Hi, this is Arjun. I have the best seat in the house because I get a chance to have conversations with leaders from all walks of life and all over the world. And that to me is very important because none of our journeys are the same. And that's the reason these variety of conversations really fascinate me and I learn a lot. Today, I'm really honored to welcome my VIP guest, Evan Dash. Evan Dash left the corporate world behind to find to found Storebound with his wife, Rachel. In just eight years, Storebound launched over 200 products and built the largest organic social media following in the industry. And what has fascinated me about this whole journey is one, how he and his wife quit successful careers to start this. And secondly, to have a very niche success that too rapidly over eight years. And those are a few things I really want to learn in this conversation. Today, their Dash brand of small appliances is sold through top tier US retailers like Crate and Barrel, Williams Sonoma, Target, Amazon, and many more. Welcome to Secrets to Big, Evan. Thanks, thanks for having me, Arden. So Evan, I really want to understand a little bit about your corporate journey before you started Storebound. So what were you doing? What made you very successful there? Uh, it's something I love to talk about because I never aspired to be an entrepreneur. I never wanted to take risk in, in business and really loved working in the corporate world because I had uh, the security of a big company. And if my business was good, I could make a lot of money. If my business was bad, I could make a lot of money. And every two weeks it was in my bank account. And it provided me with the opportunity to really advance my career year after year and grow into a level that was so far beyond what I had expected when I first started out in the corporate world. But I became a senior vice president at Macy's, I think prior to, to my 30th birthday. And, um, and I learned so many, so many incredible things along the way. But a um, couple of things that have really stuck with me over the years is number one is I had a CEO who was an, an icon of um, of department store retailing in the heyday of department store retailing. And he used to say that we're not making enough mistakes. And if we don't make the mistakes, it just shows that we're not evolving. We're not trying enough new things. So he would really encourage people to make mistakes without um, without blame. And that was something that was very empowering that I, I've taken with me over the years. And I attribute that to a lot of my success. The other thing that was, was an incredible learning experience, I mean, outside of all the different hardcore business lessons were the lessons around leadership. And the other thing that I, I learned along the way is I had so many bosses, I used to take certain things away from each of them. Some was how I wanted to model myself in other ways is how I don't want to model myself. But the one thing that really held true for me is that um, I felt above all leading by example is really the key to success and demonstrating to the team that there, there's no job that I'm, I'm above and being, being 
willing to step up and do the do the hard things and show people how to get it done, how to have the intensity, but also how to have the compassion or for those those around me was been absolutely a key to my success. And and it's really that corporate upbringing that taught me so many incredible lessons. I love that. I love the whole focus on if you're not failing enough. And one of my favorite ads of all times, and again, you know, this shows how old I am, is Michael Jordan, Nike, failure. If you Google these three, you'll find this coolest ad ever. And you have to visualize Michael Jordan post game in his slick overcoat, walking there in the silhouette, talks about he has missed more than 9,000 shots. Michael Jordan has the record for the most number of game-winning shots missed. Yep. And he says, I failed. That's the reason I succeeded. And I just love that because I would bet that if you, me, and Michael were playing 35 seconds in, you both of us would pass the ball to Michael because we don't want to fail. And this guy has no fear. And yesterday I was speaking to an amazing group of fresh seniors at a local high school. And I was invited on their first day of their senior year. And they are all with hopes about college and everything else. And I left them with three words dream big, fail big, mm-hmm. and succeed big. And, and that's what I said, guys, because most of them didn't want to even apply to their dream university because they wouldn't accept. And I said, girl, this is what, you know, this one girl who told me that she was not applying. I said, I don't know about you, but if I was in your shoes, I'll worry when you'll be as old as Arjun, you wouldn't even know whether they would have accepted you. Like that thought, like, come on, what happens? Let them reject you. So I love this. So now let me go into that date with what made you realize, like everything was great. What made you and your wife say, we quit to start something amazing? Oh, I, I think no matter, no matter how great something is, you always feel that things could be better. And even great situations come with a lot of frustration. And there's a lot of frustration in, in the corporate world. And I always had frustration around the the restrictions that were put into place. And I'm not one who likes to play particularly nicely in the sandbox. And I like to push the, the boundaries a lot. And you know that that's not necessarily encouraged in corporate living. But I would say the biggest frustration that we both had was with our existing suppliers. We had so many different suppliers. And in the vast, vast majority of them, all they care about is their own agenda. They don't necessarily care about the customer's agenda. And we felt that that one little nuance was something that we could pick up and create an incredible competitive advantage before we even knew what what types of products we'd be selling or what the category of business would be. We knew that if we could make the retailers' lives easier and deliver value to them, we would be ahead of 99% of our competition. Wow. So let's look at Storebound. So what made you choose the name Store Brown, and what is the unique niche in the marketplace that only Storebound offers and fulfills? Well, so starting off, it was, for us, it was creating a values-based company that was all about winning hearts. And we said, we've got three, three stakeholders that we really need to satisfy. We have our own internal team. We want to win the hearts of the people who are out on the front lines doing the work. We have our retail customers, and we want to win the hearts of the people who are who are really buying from us. 
And then the consumer, we want to make sure that we win the hearts of the consumer. And that's by offering a great value and offering great content. So we decided that we were going to, we looked at a lot of different business categories and we kept coming back to small kitchen appliances and food prep products being a category that we could bring a lot of value to. There wasn't a lot of innovation. There wasn't a lot of design. Nobody was really um, serving the, the more youthful customer. So we moved into that category, but we didn't just do it by introducing another two slice toaster or drip coffee maker. We came out with products that were different, unique, that could perform a function really well, that were a little bit, um, a little bit left or right of center because the, all the, the, the common categories were filled so well, but we were able to come in and create messaging about healthy living. So we looked at it initially and said, okay, this is all about winning the customer's heart. We have to make it about the customer. We have to be truly consumer centric and we need to enrich their lives. If they're gonna fall in love with us, if we're gonna win their heart, we need to give them something useful. And it was in the early days of social media. And at the time we said, what do we need to do from a content standpoint to get people to actually click that follow button so that we wouldn't have to advertise from them to, to them, that we could build an organic following. And it's pretty interesting because you, if you look at the world of wellness, just about every product category, it's been a gold rush into supplements and, and vitamins and fitness equipment and at, at leisure wear and category after category, except for the food prep business, nobody was really focused on delivering messaging around wellness, helping to empower the consumer for um, for better living. So we we tagline, we, we made the tagline unprocess your food. We created the brand Dash, which is um, also happened to be our last name, but it wasn't meant to have anything to do with us. Just thought it was a great kitchen name, Dash of Color, Dash of Flavor, Healthy Food in a Dash. That combined with this unprocess your food messaging was a, a message that cut across every demographic and something that everybody could relate to, whether it was part of the aging population, just looking to expand their longevity, or whether it was somebody who was hardcore into the paleo life, lifestyle, we could appeal to so many different consumers. And we were one of the few brands, if not the only brand in our category, that had a true point of view around health and wellness. And that's something that really catapulted us forward on social media and made us catch on because the content that we were producing was truly useful to the consumer. And they fell in love with our content and our message before they even realized what our products were. And to me, I think, you know, another one line when I was going to the site that jumped out was vastly good deals here. It just puts right there. And what was unique as I visited the website, it did not feel like an Amazon or a place where 99 out of 100 things I do not need and I need to sift through those to find the next one. It just felt like I am at Oprah's book recommendations where somebody had literally knows me and put things I want all there. And there was something of a personal touch. So, you know, I know you talk a little bit about like, how do you get in to make somebody like me, who I feel is a decently sophisticated buyer to feel, wow, like Evan and Rachel knows me. They have put something for me in this cool way. Like it felt good and warm to just visit the site. How do you achieve that? 
Well, I mean, we we typically start with your children. Um, we we are darlings of um, of Generation Z and the millennials, and that's where we really focus to begin with. And that's where we really learned how to hone the messaging and to introduce ourselves and explain what we stand for and why we do what we do. Because for the younger generation, it's not really about, they don't wanna support companies that are just making products. They really wanna know what we stand for and they hold us to the highest standard. And I feel like if we were just starting out and marketing to my generation or my parents' generation, uh, you can take a lot of shortcuts and you can be somewhat lazier because they're not as requiring in, in terms of the company messaging. So we really learned early on, how do we endear ourselves to people? How do we show people that we're a, a caring company and really demonstrate it, that we're real people that does customer service in, in the US that care about the experience that you have with your products? And for us, the that quandary early, and you asked me about where did Storebound come from? You know, Storebound was just the, the parent company name that would allow us to have an entity to do business with retailers. We believe from the beginning that our future was um, in big, big national retailers, not necessarily um, selling ourselves on our website. It's just selling ourselves on a website is something that we have to do. But we've really put our focus into omni-channel retailers and e-commerce retailers around the world and trying to tell our stories through those retailers. And they've built these audiences and pipelines. And we need to craft our story into each one of those. But it all really starts with, if I'm having a conversation with um, Rachel, who's a millennial, or my kids who are Gen Z, what do I tell them about the company? How do I introduce what I do? It's not all about try this waffle maker. It's about healthy breakfast quickly. It's about how we can save you money, how we can make things more convenient, how we make cleanup easier. You know, those kind of things that demonstrate that we care about the person using it versus just caring about selling you something. So as you're talking about, I'm doing a goofy exercise. I'm tabbing a few words. Two words you said more than any are conversation and care. I think I haven't heard the word sell even once. Okay. So tell me a little more about how do you show the care to retail customers, all three of your stakeholders? Yeah, so I mean, with our with our employees internally, that's one where we probably spend the most amount of time, you know, Rachel and myself, ensuring that the culture that we tried to put in place initially um, gets us through into the future, because we're we're too big now to control the culture. The culture is something that you can't just will into place. So it's creating the right environment for creative individuals and empowering them to do great work. It's ensuring that everybody understands that we start with a positive intent and then hiring teammates who really, really care. And when you start with people who care, you can teach them how to do a job. You can't take somebody who's great at a job that doesn't really care and teach them how to care. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. So it's, it's the culture initially. Then for the, the retailer, 
every person on our, um, on our on the business side of the team who's interacting with our customers has been a retailer. So they've come out of Bed Bath & Beyond, Macy's, Target, QVC, Kohl's, and a, a number of other major retailers. And they've all sat in the buyer's seat. So we could walk into a buyer who doesn't have enough time in the day to do their job. And we can say, we know every time your phone rings or every time you get an email, your day gets worse and we're gonna make it better. We've sat in your seat. We know your pressures. We're not gonna look to do business with everybody. We're gonna look to give you the advantage and do something where you feel great about what you're selling from us. And we're gonna back up our results. Uh, we're gonna make sure that you get the results that we're telling you that we're gonna have. We're not in this to take an order. We don't care about a first order. We care about our reorders. And that's what we're in this game for. And then with the consumer, that's where the team and the magic of, of the way that they care comes together. And we look at every single product and the experience that the user has with that product. What's the content around it? How do we inspire them to use the product? We don't want them to buy something that they think is cool, use it a couple of times and then put it, in the, put it in the closet. We want them to use it over and over and over, make it part of their, their wellness routine. We wanna give them inspiration on how to create healthy home cooked meals um, and bring their families closer together. We want to get their kids involved in, in cooking and meal prep and learning about nutrition. So everything that we do is really focused on those three stakeholders. And it's gotten to the point now where we're, we're doing it without thinking about it. it. It's just part of our DNA. It's part of the culture. Every once in a while, we've got to reset things and we've got to call something out. But um, but by and large, I mean, that has helped us gain the single biggest competitive advantage that we could get. And it's not something that another company could just cut and paste by copying our products. It's so much more than that. So, you know, I'm so glad I asked the question on care because you already are high energy, but your energy went to a different level as you were talking about. And I'm thinking that this podcast, I'm going to call this the care culture. Okay, because that's what it is. And I also feel that there's a book coming from you, Evan, one day, I feel that's it. Like the care culture is people talk about it, but you are living this. And I really am appreciative that you're sharing this. So now let's take this to a little different direction. How does it feel to have the love of your life, your wife, be partner in this incredible journey forward? There, there would be no journey without without Rachel. You know, she she loves that I'm kind of the voice of of us as a as a couple and as a team because she likes to work be more behind the scenes. But if it weren't for her, we'd get nothing done. I'm I can go into a meeting and I can make a sales pitch and I can come out of the meeting saying, "Oh, we did great." But she's the one that actually makes everything happen. And she's really been the, the perfect counterbalance to me. She helps me refine my messaging with the team. She helps me understand what's going on. She's compassionate and she's caring. And there we would have never had the kind of success that we have. And the relationship that we have is truly one in a million where we each do different things and we have the utmost respect for what the other one does. And we understand the, the roles that we each play. And without the two of us, um, it just, it, it wouldn't work. I would never be as effective as I am and, and vice versa. So it, it's a match made in heaven. I consider myself fortunate every single day. I just, I'm so glad to share, that you shared that with me. So 
now let's look at this huge journey and you know the podcast is about winning big from corporate world a lot of us quit the corporate world it takes us three to five years to unlearn okay now we are looking at nearly eight years after you launched like what was this whole thing about like secret behind you and Rachel achieving this rapid growth and not that I don't mean just business, like influencing so many lives, forming the team of amazing culture. Like this is a huge movement. How do you pull this off in such a short period of time? We, we make mistakes and we embrace it. We create a culture that embraces failure. And what you were talking about with Michael Jordan before, I actually have that quote on my desktop, along with a Thomas Edison quote on about failure is only figuring out a way that doesn't work so you can try another way that does. And I mean, we, in big companies and corporate America, everybody puts their, their job security first and everybody's trying to, and I did the same thing, always tried to spin poor or mediocre results into good results and good results into great results by kind of twisting it. We don't look at it that way. We wanna build a championship dynasty that puts us ahead of the competition year in, year out. And I think we, we're, we play at you know, a C level and we're constantly trying to get better. And the world is so dynamic and things are always changing that we have to keep trying new things. And when we find something that works, we have to make it bigger. We have to understand why did it work? We have to amplify it. And, um, and that for us has been, Really, the single biggest thing is that when we started this company, we had nobody else to answer to except for ourselves. That was an even bigger challenge from the beginning because I had this moment early on where I looked in the mirror and I had this, I held myself in very high regard because of my success in the corporate world and the results that I achieved. And I had this moment where I really wondered, were any of those results mine? We had 700 stores, 700 store managers, thousands of sales associates, hundreds of people in buying and marketing and finance and logistics. And were any of the results in my area actually my results? And when you're in the corporate world, you get a review every year or so. And one of the big things in the, the review is gets results. And I mark myself excellent. Yeah, always getting results. But I really thought about were those results mine could I actually get results when there was nobody else to offload things to? And that was something that Rachel and I really sat down and we decided who was going to do what, what would be the KPIs, what were the goals, how are we going to measure it? And we constantly took stock of where we were. I never thought that the, the business would have grown to the level that it is today, but I also feel like we're in the infancy of where we could potentially go on a global basis in the future. So it's never really been about what's the number that we're getting to, it's are we delivering on that mission of winning hearts and collecting followers and getting that army of advocates that help push us into the, forward, into the future in a really authentic way that gives us this staying power that we've got generations of consumers who are going to grow up with us, knowing us, registering for our products when they get married, when they buy their first home, when they start a family, and we'll help create memories that, that we'll be a part of for hopefully decades to come. That's absolutely brilliant. As I'm listening to you, 
I'm thinking of two incredible quotes. One is one of my best, coolest bosses I've ever worked for, Blaine Hurst, who recently retired from Panera. Anytime we accomplished something, he was all about celebrating. But the next second, he created the culture of dissatisfaction. He reminded us right away by saying, however great you were, that's good. But let's start looking at what can we do better because tomorrow is all about that. And the second is, you know, I was fortunate to work with Tiger Woods and who once explained to me that only the best constantly invest in getting better. And then he explained by saying, rest of us become boring individuals who celebrate that past way and think. If you and I played golf together, I kept telling every time by saying, Evan, remember eight years back, that putt that I sank from 80 feet and over time it became 100 feet. Like, shut up, Arjun. Okay. So I feel that that whole culture of dissatisfaction and celebrating and aspiration that is there, that's really awesome. So you talked about your wife, Rachel. So other than her, is there anybody else who has been an incredible inspiration for you in this journey of not only creating a business win, but also this culture of care, the culture of constantly improving? Like what, where does this come from? So, I mean, from a business standpoint, I learned so much every step along the way, but in terms of aspiring me, inspiring me to build a, a real values-based business um, is my family. I mean, I, I've been so, so fortunate to, um, to have a, a mother and a father and a brother who have taught me integrity and work ethic and intensity and humility and compassion. And each of them have so many incredibly wonderful um, attributes. And I feel like I've taken the best of what each of them have. And that's in my DNA somewhere deep down, but I've been able to, over the years, unlock it more, more and more. And I've, I've talked a lot to people about lessons that I learned early on in, in my life. And I think those things have shaped me so much because I wasn't a good student and I was a difficult child with an abundance of, of energy and, um, and I wasn't academic and I failed out of college, not once, but twice. And every step along the way, I learned so much about myself and took such valuable lessons from the people in, in my family and modeled myself um, in the best parts of, of their images, I feel like. And I don't think I would ever be at a point where I could live up to the best of each one of them, but I think I've been able to find a good balance of um, of collect the, the collective good characteristics that leave me in a position where I'm, I'm happy with the person I am, although I'm always looking to get, to get better. So even, you know, I'm glad you shared about the amazing family support, but also, you know, I'm just in awe listening to you because you have gone through a decent amount of failures. Most of us, the night of the failure, we really feel the world has come to an end. How, how do you process failure and get yourself ready for incredible highest level of efforts next morning. Yeah, I mean, I it depends on what the failure is. I don't take failure well. Um, I embrace the learnings from it, but I have a, a level of competitiveness that is, I mean, still super, super high. I still think about um, 
performances in my life on the basketball court or other places where I didn't perform in my, my best, or I lost a, a game or I missed a game winning shot. I had something in my hands. I don't, I don't handle those things well, but they create a fire in me to get better and better and to perform better the next time. I think what I've learned more is the compassion about team failure and helping to build people up. And I think people enjoy working with me the most when things are, are tough because I become very encouraging and very uplifting. I think when things are easy and we're doing great, I'm probably at my worst because I'm looking for things to go wrong and I have this intensity about not letting up. So, uh, you know, I think I, I take it in stride. Um, I think Rachel balances me out completely and helps me reshape some of the messaging or is always there with me with our computers facing each other where she can pop her head up over the screen and put her finger up and say, don't do it right before she senses me about to uh, cross a line that would, would leave somebody feeling deflated rather than inspired. So, you know, I'm certainly not perfect and I try to take it in stride the best that I can. But um, I think the fact that failure fuels a hunger is, um, is something that really drives me to succeed. I love that. So now let's look at the future and let's look at, you are walking into this incredible coffee shop or restaurant and you meet Evan, 16 years old, Evan, 100 years old, and Evan today. What would that conversation be like with Evan 16 and Evan 100? Uh, I, can, I can tell you what it would be like for Evan 16. I would say, slow down. You know, I was the type to jump into the pool, not even before checking the water, but before even knowing if there was water. So, uh, you know, I would jump headfirst into anything. Now I'm much more thoughtful. I really set goals. I think about what I want. Um, so I would tell that 16-year-old to slow down and be more thoughtful. Uh, what I hope from the 100-year-old version is that um, that version of Evan would be congratulating me on a life well-lived and making a difference for others, being somebody who was on this earth who, um, who made things better for other people and made a difference to a lot of people. And that to me would be the most satisfying thing I could imagine at that, at that stage in my life. So what are you most grateful to Evan, 16 year old? I mean, the, the intensity and the, and the, the fire and the, the curiosity, um, I still have that drive and I just think I've been able to harness it better than that 16 year old. But I think we're very, very similar people. I love that, love that answer. Seven, so this is such a fascinating conversation. Anything else you want to share that we have not talked yet? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I always caution people about entrepreneurship. And I think it's so easy for people to aspire to be entrepreneurs. And people, I believe, are bombarded with all of the, the wonderful stories of success. And you don't hear a lot of the stories of, of failure. And I consider myself so fortunate and lucky that I have a, a success story to tell. But I think that it's really important for people to understand the risk of business, the risk in entrepreneurship. And I would just encourage people to, if you're inspired by an, a story of um, an, entre an entrepreneur who is successful, understand what's your concept? What business do you want to be in? 
and seek out ways to get the right education on somebody else's dime before you take that risk. So I spent 20 years working in the corporate world, um, earning a steady paycheck, learning the lessons, making the contacts that I would need. I didn't just start this business. I knew the, the buyers who would support me and the customers and the factories. And I knew enough about logistics and enough about finance. If I would have started this business directly out of college, like so many people do, there is no way that I would have been successful. So I would just encourage everybody who's interested in uh, building their own entrepreneurial success story is to take it slow and to understand what they could do to put themselves in the best possible position to, to build that success story. Love that. And I also would add to that incredible advice you gave is build the culture from day one, because the culture is what sustains. And that's the engine that drives us forward. Absolutely. I always say I, I'm as much as I'm not satisfied with the, the level at which we're performing, I'm incredibly proud of the, the accomplishments that my team has generated. These aren't my accomplishments. These are the accomplishments of my team. And that pride really creates this satisfaction that's in line with that golf putt from eight years ago. I just hope I have some satisfaction every single day to keep building on. Evan, you know, this is fascinating. This is such an incredible conversation. Thank you for sharing this. Thank you. Thanks so much, Arjun. So, you know, today's conversation, a few things jump out to me. Number one is the caring culture. Second is how Evan processes failure. You know, he likes to win and he was very honest about it. And I love that honesty, but at the same time, it drives that fire. And finally, you know, anytime I see a super CEO, I always look at the coolest of CEOs perform on four levels. And Evan today demonstrated all four to me, and that was amazing. Number one is he sees the bigger picture and creates a path to that. Secondly, he breaks barriers, brings resources, but most importantly, he takes pride in the team and is a cheerleader. So I really love this culture of care or care culture. And Evan, thank you for sharing. Thank you for listening. A fascinating conversation. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.